Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the X29 Podcast. And today's episode is a special one. We are doing a new feature with our mailbag episode where we've got questions sent in through Instagram. So brace yourselves, listeners, for a little bit longer episode than usual as we open up today's mailbag with today's guest, our president, the El Presidente of X29, (laughs) Pastor Matt Chandler. Matt, how are you? Man, I'm doing really well. It's great to be here with you. I've loved the podcast, so great job. Oh, thanks, man. It's an honor to serve our our brothers and sisters in X29. And you and I go way back, uh, probably further than than you know. Uh, The first time I heard you teach and preach was at South Padre Island. Oh my gosh, cross camp. Cross camp. Do you know who else was there? This might blow your mind. Shane and Shane was doing, were doing the music. Yeah. John Tyson was there. Wow. John Tyson was a youth minister. Oh, uh, man. And brought his kids to cross camp. We need to do like a 30 for 30. Oh, on uh, cross camp. On cross camp. Listen, I hired most of those people on staff. Josh Patterson, Jason Holloman. Um, they were like, all cross camp staff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. They, and just a gifted. And that was an amazing week. Yeah. That God used that week. Um, I remember when the Shanes played Psalm 145, which I'll put a link in, in the show notes to that if listeners aren't familiar with Shane and Shane, uh, to go listen to that. You were teaching through Philippians. Yep. And I was already a believer, but it was that week that God used to just renew me, revive me, and to awaken me. And uh, I haven't turned back since. Oh, man. Praise God. Thanks for sharing that, Jeff. Yeah. I literally had no idea. Yeah. So to be sitting here with you and to serve with you as a part of Acts 29 is a real honor and a real blessing. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Well, we've got a lot of questions that, that have that have come in. So let's let's just rip through them. You you go deep, you you skim, you skip rocks across the ones that you want, and we'll fly through these. Number one, you've been president of X29 for a long time. Yeah. Uh, God's done amazing things in our network. I just heard recently from our team that guys in the application process that really our membership could double or triple in the next year or so. That's amazing. So as you look at X29, what excites you uh, about our network? Yeah, I I think that we are uniquely positioned in this moment in human history uh, to plant churches that are biblically serious, spiritually alive, and and have truly embraced the mission of God. And um, when I look at the landscape, I I see other movements that have one of those components, maybe two of those components, but, but don't necessarily have all three of those components. And uh, so I, I just think with where the world is right now and with where it appears to be going, that A29 is situated beautifully to plant the kind of churches that I think can make a real difference in the next generation. And so I'm eager to watch that come about and uh, just humbled beyond belief that I get to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You get, you serve us in this way and um, always give us uh, that pastoral and, and prophetic voice uh, to our network. So I'm grateful for you. And I know that's uh, for many, many brothers in X29 as well. Okay. Your weekly rhythms. Okay. What, what, what does a personal weekly rhythm look like for you? Okay. So I am an early riser. I have not always been an early riser. I used to be a late nighter. Uh, kids uh, took that from me uh, as they got older <laughs> and... um. Yeah, as they got older, I had to get up earlier in order to 
um, get the quiet space that my heart yearns for. And so I get up at about five uh, Monday through Thursday um, and I spend, man, probably an hour, hour and a half uh, just in the scriptures, in prayer, same seat at my kitchen island, um, just trying to orient my heart around the beauty and grace of Jesus. Um, and then I have established a rule of life, if you will, that takes advantage of every transition in my day to reorient my heart uh, around who God is and, and who I am in him. And so that that rhythm, it looks really similar in that uh, I've tried to create space. I haven't tried to create space. I've created space uh, at least 15 minutes between any series of meetings or events that I have during the day so that I can lay what just happened down before the Lord and pick up a heart for what's coming next. Mm. And and again, it's just a simple practice. It's not it's not anything. I don't think it's anything profound. It's just if brothers would do it, if sisters would do it, where they refuse to give into the tyranny of cascading meetings and cascading events where they don't come up for air uh, until they head home. And so I'm building in at least 15 minutes between. So when you and I are done here, my next thing isn't for 30 minutes now, by the grace of God. It it just worked out that way today. And so I've got 30 minutes. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get a sense of how well this went and thank the Lord for that. Um, Leave anything there that I need to leave there. And then I'm going to start to try to transition into what I have next prayerfully. Asking God to give me wisdom for it. Asking him to give me insight. And is there something I need to hear from you in this moment? I might open up my journal and reread some of the notes I made this morning. Things that I wrote out that I wanted my heart to be attuned to today based on the scripture that morning. Um, And then I'm just going to do that throughout the day. I will physically, when I leave my office, I'm at my office now. When I leave my office, I will put my hands flat on my desk And I will simply pray uh, a prayer of thanks that God does not need to sleep. He never slumbers, that that he has never reached the end of his bandwidth. And I will confess that I have reached the end of mine and that I want to go home and be the husband and father that he has asked me to be. So I want to leave the undone things here and not bring them home with me so that he will work on them. So I don't have to. Yeah. And then I think, honestly, probably the thing that's bore the most fruit over the years is what I've just kind of, I've joked about it a lot, but it really is a profound moment where I do a driveway prayer. When I pull into my driveway, I just need to remember that it's been given to me and me alone to be Lauren Chandler's husband. No other man gets that. No other man on the entire planet gets to be Lauren Chandler's husband. That was given to me by the grace of God. And no other man gets to be Audrey, Reed, and Nora's daddy. Nobody. I do. I have a special authority. I have a special power. I have a special that's been given to me by God, entrusted to me by God. And so I want to remind my heart of that. I want to ask for strength for the second shift. Because honestly, man, I'm not quite sure what I'm going to walk into when I walk in the house, right? It could smell like dinner and the kids could each be working on homework or bro, it could be chaos and I could know, don't ask about dinner. Right. 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 Take over here and, you know, just go, where would you like to go eat, baby? Yeah. And so that driveway prayer and then a, a part of my rhythm that, that might sound silly to people who are listening, but man, it's poor fruit over the years is our family has dinner together as often as possible. 
and we always play the same game at dinner. And I've got an 18-year-old now, and sometimes she'll bring up the fact, hey, are we going to do low high? Mm. And so we play this little game called low high, and the game is everybody goes around the table, and what was your least favorite part of the day, and what was your favorite part of the day? What was your lowest moment today, and what was your highest moment? Now, we started playing this game when the kids were little because it's not a yes-no question, and there's no such thing as I didn't have a least uh, moment because it could be your least favorite moment, right? It's just like, and we've had those days where like the worst thing that happened to one of the kids or one of us was actually kind of cool. It just wasn't as cool as the other things. And uh, that gets us talking about our lives with one another. It's led to all sorts of opportunity to minister to one another, to pray over. I mean, it's led to, you know, a kid breaking down because they felt just overwhelmed and they were able right. to kind of express that around the table. So that's a rhythm. Like that's a part of our, if we eat dinner, even if we're not all there, even if there's just four of the five of us because Audrey's at work or something like that, we will still play low high. And the purpose of that little silly game is to do some work in our hearts and to celebrate together and and when, when needed, be sad together. And, and then, man, um, I'm past the... Uh, well, my two oldest don't want me to come cuddle with them anymore. You know that you know eighteen year old daughter, fifteen year old son. They're not they're not really game for pops to snuggle up and <laughs> yeah. scratch their back. And so, um, with my little though, still I I want to lay her, you know lay in bed with her, talk with her, pray with her, and then brother, I'm in bed. Then I'm a nine nine thirty guy. I know some people like the night. I don't. Um, and so I will simply pray and thank God that. His affection for me, his love for me uh, has not wavered one way or the other today, regardless of how well I kept this rule or didn't keep this rule. Right. Um, And then the only thing I would add is every Thursday I fast from breakfast and lunch. Um, And and so that's a part of my weekly rhythm. But that's what a day looks like. That's what today's going to look like. Is that uh, is the fasting in relation to sermon prep or is there a a significance to that? Uh, No, I just wanted to. I have once a quarter extended fasts that I've woven in, but that would be more like a an annual rhythm conversation. Okay. But the Thursday is just about the closing of my week. And so Sabbath starts for me Thursday night okay, and ends for me Friday night. So that's when I Sabbath. So phone off, um, extended time with the Lord, no work play great food um great wine or bourbon depending on the season and um and just enjoying god and who he is and so what i'm trying to do on thursday with that fast is as i as i'm desiring the the physical comfort of food i i reorient that to gratitude for his faithfulness this week and gratitude for the fact that starting tonight, um, I get to just stop because he does not. And I need that. I, I am a, I'm a runner, man. I'm a driver. I'm a, let's get it done. And I desperately need to remember that he is doing, and I need to at times celebrate that he's doing by not doing and yeah. the fast orients me towards that, lest I be tempted to break the Sabbath or cheat a little bit on the Sabbath. or And so that that's what Thursday's fasting is about. Yeah. It, it's not really tied to sermon prep at all. 
Okay. Um, yeah. More personal. Yeah, yeah it, it's very much. I'm, I've become more and more aware of how I've been wired and how to, you know, as Paul said, subdue the flesh. Yeah, that's good. And I think, you know, especially in our, in our circles, there's going to be a lot of emphasis on the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and yeah. prayer and community. And I think fasting is definitely one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines that, that we talk about. So that's encouraging. For that's sure. Okay. And it's so powerful, man. Again, it, like I do a four or five day fast once a quarter. And I, the intimacy that starts to come in that prayer time, the power in that prayer time. Um, like I, I think the if I could point to something that's been the most sustaining practice in the highs and lows of ministry, and I've had some epic highs and I have had some gut wrenching, painful, I'm not sure we're going to make this low. Mm. Um, and, and those seasons are what reestablish me, reorient me. I mean, I'm, I get to where I'm so ready for them, um, which seems weird. Just go be by yourself for four or five days and, and right, just right. drink water and maybe a little coffee. And um, yeah, man, I, I wish I'm just brothers. If you're listening, if you will weave into your life, extended prayer and fasting times, you will experience the presence of God. And I think the power of God more beautifully in your preaching, in your leadership, it, it breaks things off of you. And draws you into um, God in, in these really unique, beautiful ways. And Jesus said, hey, when I'm not here, they'll fast. Right. And so you're, you're neglecting, I think, one of the more profound weapons God's given you. Because I believe what your church needs most is your heart fully alive in Jesus. Doesn't need like you to hit a home run every time you walk up there and preach or for you to be the kind of leader that writes leadership books. He, he just... Your heart fully alive in Jesus. I, I just would. I think I could argue from the texts. That's what. That's what your church most desperately needs. Matt, I've heard you say before that you know, like when you were thirty-five, you could look back at yourself at twenty-five and be like, "Oh, that guy was a moron." And then you know, as you get older and older, uh, what advice would you give to your eighteen-year-old self? So I always love this question because here is the here is the truth, and I and I hope you brothers and sisters listening will. I don't know that 18-year-old Matt would have listened to anything I have to say. Here, and, and no, we, and here's what I mean. And here's, I, I really am serious about this stuff because I, I think there are some guys listening right now. And, and I think whether or not they finish well or not is tied to the things I'm about to say. Um, when you're 18, when you're 20, when you're 27, when you're 31, a lot of what you're doing, it's just working. And so when someone says to you, you will underestimate what you can do in 10 years and you will overestimate what you can do in one year, you won't be able to hear that because everything you're doing more than likely in that, that little age range seems to be working for yeah. you. And, and I, I think there comes this moment and I think this is what burnout is. And I think this is what pat moral failure is. There comes this moment where it just doesn't work anymore. And what I mean by that is all the ways that you've been coping and never having really dealt with some of the more deeper issues of your spirit, um, that, that all of a sudden it doesn't matter if your church is running this or this, you just start to feel thin, right? right. It doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much sex you're having, doesn't matter if you get to ask to speak at other places, it, it just stops working. 
But by that time, guys start to feel stuck. Oh my gosh, I'm 38 years old. I've been pastor in this church for however long and and I'm and I'm stuck because I can't just leave now. I'm financially roped in here. I've got this reputation as a pastor. I've got this and guys start to feel stuck and they subconsciously start to self-sabotage. And they can do that with an emotional affair with a woman in the church. They can do that with I mean, we we all know the stories of how they do that. So I think that Matt Chandler at 18 could not hear or really understand what 46-year-old Matt would want to tell him. Um, So I I think what I would encourage younger brothers to do is just be aware that there are some broken bits and pieces in them that are going to come to light down the road. and, And they need to be mindful of that and prepared to deal with that when they come. Yeah, that's good. You know, a listener sent in a question about uh, kind of in the realm of parenting um, a little bit that when you have, you know, as you're, you've written a book on family discipleship and yeah. you've got things on milestones and, but when you see bad theology in your teenagers or, or little children, this person sent in a question on when and how do you correct, I guess, things that are a little off kilter, which should not be surprising sure. uh, at all. So I guess, how, how do you personally handle those things? Yeah, hopefully. So you've got to answer this two ways, I think. Hopefully you've been having theological conversations with your children since they're little. Um, So if you've already got that kind of foundation laid where you're going, Hey, well, let me explain this about the Lord to your five-year-old or six-year-old, or let's think about it this way. Or have you ever thought about this? Or let's read this together. Or hopefully you've done some of that work. And then this is just a conversation about trying to help them see why good doctrine is more beautiful and more in line with the character of God than, than the error. Yeah. Um, if you haven't had those kind of conversations, so maybe that th- you, you haven't spent time catechizing, uh, your kid when they're younger, or you, you, you're not apt to having theological conversations with them. Then I think the way you should approach it is via seeking forgiveness for not having done that and then start the conversation about it. Uh, I think the and and not like, oh, I'm so sorry you've landed on this depraved, wicked doctrine. But uh, God has asked me to love you in a way that I have failed to love you. I need you to I need you to forgive me. And here's something I would the way I need to repent is by having conversations with you around um, the nature and character of God. And, and then if I'm, I, again, this is a hard question because every kid's different, right? right. Like it, yeah. my, I've got three and my approach to all three is wildly different. Like my oldest, nothing to do with it. She didn't like being Matt Chandler's kid. She thought the Christian school kids wanted to be her friend because I was her dad. She thought the right. public school kids thought she was holy girl because I was her dad. She hated all of it. Audrey isn't going to sit down with me and, you know, talk theology. So there, there was a very different approach with Audrey than there was with Reed who right now him and I are walking through certain chapters of Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. We just finished wow. the chapter on the Trinity and he loves it. He's got this intuitive sense, this intuitive theological sense that just makes my heart so happy. And uh, I, I mean, I'm far more direct with Reed than, than I was with Audrey and that I'll probably be with Nora. So there is some nuance here depending on your child. But if you've got a specific doctrine that they're beginning to float to, that's got you anxious I would approach it two steps before that doctrine, if that makes sense. And so if it's around sexuality, then what I want to do is I want to start with the Imago Dei. 
Let, yeah. Let's talk about the Imago. Let's talk about what it means to be made in the image of God. And then I want to get into Genesis and start talking about what are the distinctions between manhood and womanhood and, and what is God's heart for each. And, and here we see this and then here we see this and, and then get there. So it's not like, hey, I need you to forgive me because uh, I didn't do a great job. I, I, did, I kind of shrank back from what God asked me to do as your dad or your mom. But now that you believe this, I'm scared, so let me hop yeah. on this. So I just wouldn't approach it that way. Um, I think if you freak out, that, that tends to push a kid away. But if you'll just be steady. Listen, I love you. Let, let's look at these things together. How amazing is the triune God and, and that he made us in his image and then get there um, get there that way. That, that would be my encouragement. Yeah, yeah. Matt, maybe you could tell us about briefly how yeah, you discerned your call um, to be a pastor. And then like how other people, so maybe we focus on how can someone discern their calling to be a pastor because you've got your story and everyone's story is different, but how could someone discern whether or not they're being called uh, to pastoral ministry? Yeah, this is such a great question. I am such a believer that that is a communal decision. Um, The number of guys that have come up up to me over the years telling me they feel called to pastoral ministry. And I began to ask what church they're in and how they're serving in churches, and they can't answer that question. It, it leads me to believe there really is a hole here. Yeah. Um, the guys I know that are faithful over the long haul had a period of their lives where they were making someone else look better. Like they were interning at a church for like a thousand dollars for three months, working 70 hours a week. Right. Doing. I think that's yep. illegal. That's funny. When you become a pastor, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. We're breaking that's all illegal. kinds of labor laws. Yeah. That's illegal. I, I feel like I've been sinned against. And <laughs> um, and so, man, I'm you should be serving in such a way in a local church that you're not the only one that feels or senses that there's a call on your life to pastoral ministry. Like there should be other brothers and sisters that are watching your life. And when you say, I think God's got a call on my life, I think he's calling me into ministry that they're like, I totally see that. I totally see that. Like my first teaching gig was like sixth grade boys at first Baptist church of Texas city, Texas. Yeah. The first group that I had to consistently prepare for was sixth grade boys. It was a sixth grade boys Sunday school class at First Baptist Church in Texas City, Texas. That's where I started. And then I I made the show, man. I got to do um the the all, you know, you know, elementary school gathering. There you go. So that's when I knew. That's when I knew God was on something. I, that wow. I was I had a call in my life. So I would say, man, serve locally in such a way where others begin to see what you sense and and then speak into that and champion in that for you. Um that, that's a lot better way than you liking podcasts and books. And so assuming that because you like podcasts and books and you like the idea uh, of preaching and teaching or leading that you're called into ministry. Um, I, I, I love ministry. It's brutal. I don't, I don't know why, if you're not called, um, why you would want to do this. But um, so I would want others to see your life and and encourage you towards ministry. That's certainly what happened to me. I did not. I was a political science major. I'd, I'd already worked at a tiny little church. It went terrible. Oh, gosh, it went terrible. And so I was like, man, I'm just going to be a lawyer with a great Sunday school class. That was my plan. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and God, of course, had other plans. 
Okay, so let's let's imagine we're we're in the new earth, and uh, like you know, you don't we don't need pastors anymore in the new earth. Yeah, our job is complete. We can just point and go. There he is. That's right. What are you going to do for work in the new earth, man? I'm I'm eager to find out. I don't I don't again. I, I have a suggestion. What What do you got for me? I think you should be a stand up comedian. Ah, uh, you know, as I get older, I think I'm I'm losing a step on that. Oh, here's what's funny. I don't have any of that in my notes. Like if you were to ever look at my sermon, notes, <laughs> I believe that yeah. you would. I mean, it just happens. I, I often joke that it comes out of a deep well of hurt. So uh, <laughs> as most as most comics. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. there's something there. Yeah, there's something there. All right. Let, let's transition to the theology, theology bag of questions here. Um, someone comes into you office or maybe you run into him at the Starbucks there over in front of the village and they ask you, Matt, can I lose my salvation? Yeah. Uh, I, of course, I'm reformed in my soteriology. I think the question is, are you saved? Not can you lose your salvation? And so I think if you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus, that you cannot lose that. He began the work. He will be faithful to complete it. You will not be able to pull yourself out from under his love. And so, no, I don't think you can lose your salvation. Now, I do think that you can get baptized as a child or even baptized in some kind of emotional high yeah, and, and that not actually be conversion. I do think there are fruits. There, there are certain evidences of grace in the life of someone who is genuinely converted, as small as they might be. Uh, but I think they're there. So I do not believe that you could, and I, I don't think the Bible supports that you can lose your salvation. I know the big Hebrews passage that everybody wants to uh, talk through, but I don't right. think that's teaching what some will make it say. Yep. Yeah. If you have questions about the warning passages in Hebrews, you can just go to Amazon and find books by Tom Schreiner on the warning yeah. passages there in Hebrews. I always love Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's right. So that verse is true forever. Absolutely. It'd be impossible for condemnation to, to ever land on you again in, in, in Christ. Okay. Next, next question. Uh, someone asks, how do I interact with people, whether friends or family that are part of a local prosperity gospel church? Okay. So the, the passages in the scriptures that, that talk to us about brothers and sisters in error, one, the, the goal is always to win them. Right, not to be right, but to win them, and and I think where I have ever experienced real success, and and what I mean by real success is to win my brother back. That these conversations have always taken place within legitimate relationship, which means um, they know I love them, they yeah. feel loved by me, they don't feel like a project. It's not the only thing we ever talk about. Um, and so the way I have approached this, even in some of the dynamics of my own family is to ask about what they're learning, to ask about what God's showing them, to ask them about, um, what they're discovering as they read their Bible. Um, and then there are times I've invited them to, to read something with me. Um, and so that we can just dialogue about it. And I'm trying to let the Holy spirit be the Holy spirit rather than try to be the Holy spirit for it. Um, and so like, like even on kind of weightier doctrinal matters that that's always been how I've pursued it. Let's study this together. Let's look at this together and not, let's look at your bankrupt prosperity gospel together, right, but right. Hey, what do you, what do you think about 
you, you know, what do we do with this? Or how do you make sense of this? Or, um, you know, ask questions, be genuine, have a real relationship with. That's not my whole relationship is trying to win you away from the, this bad doctrine. Yeah. Um, but I but I think it's a dangerous doctrine. Uh, I think it it's no gospel at all. And so I do think you should approach and be be courageous in your approach to someone yeah. who's um, not only drifting that way, but maybe right in the middle of it. And so that that would be how I would encourage you. You do need to have the conversation. But in all things, man, I, I think it's how you go about having that conversation, what the relationship actually looks like. Um, yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd use a scalpel, not a club. Let me say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I, you know, all things being done in love for Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. We have that, and, you know, and I always think of how we can reverse engineer these things. What the Lord Jesus teaches us with, you know, his golden rule that treat yeah. others as you would want to be treated. Like we all have things in our sure. life that are not in accordance with, with God's word, there's little things, major things. And how would I want to be treated? Yeah. Um, in light of that. And I think that gives us a, a good way to, to treat others. Okay. Next. When is it okay to disobey authorities? Oh, that question. Uh, I think we've seen some people model that well, even in the last couple of years. Um, specifically, I, I thought the way Capitol Hill handled the lawsuit with the district of Columbia, uh, this past year was an exceptional way. Uh, to disobey authorities. Uh, I think the short answer, you can look into that if you want. I won't spend a ton of time in that, but you can read about the lawsuit that they filed against the district and won. Um, There's a brazen way in which we've seen people disobey. And then there's the way that I think probably lines up more with the way of Jesus and the way that the church has historically gone about it, which is we want to worship Jesus, praise Jesus, make much of Jesus, share the gospel make disciples of Jesus Christ and be great citizens and where the government infringes upon uh, our capacities and abilities to do that. I think there are various ways in which we can rebel against the, the, the rulers of our day. And, and I don't mean the principalities and powers of our day in that kind of demonic realm, but, but the legitimate governmental structures and systems. I, I do think the Christian eventually goes underground the christian does um dissent does disobey um i never felt like in this last season that the masks were that which put me in this weird space in dallas texas where you know i've been around the world i mean i've seen what it looks like to have to hide i've seen what it looks like to know that you actually know people that have been killed because they were faithful to jesus so I'm like, guys, just wear the friggin' mask. It's not that like this isn't. Yeah, it's not. I get it's a pain in the butt, but, uh, you know, but wear it. Um, I, I don't think this is where we want to kind of, you know, like throw down the, you know, we're going to dissent here. I, I think that day's probably coming in the States. I hope it doesn't. I hope there's a renewal that, that occurs that leads to a new reformation. But um, but man, if. If that is how we handled that, I'm nervous for us. So, uh, but there does come a time there does. Gosh, I mean, I've been around, like I said, I've been around the world. There's a time to just full on go. We will not obey this and be willing to go to jail and be willing to die and be willing to go underground and build elaborate systems in which you can still make disciples. In fact, it seems if you look at, uh, of course, China is a big one. And if you look at what's happening in the Middle East right now, specifically Iran, um, man, if it doesn't seem like the church explodes, right? 
And then the heroes of that are like former drug dealers and prostitutes who know how to, right. <laughs> you know, uh, if, if you've got like the, you know, this pure background, you you might be one of the first to go. You get to sit under the throne <laughs> and ask how long. But yeah. uh, but man, it, it just seems like the church thrives when we finally get there. I hope we don't get there, but it's it's not impossible. Yeah. Do you, do you have any sense of what, you know, the Lord might be doing in, in the church in this season of life? I mean, it's been crazy. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is God's up to? So I'm, I am, I am not necessarily an optimist. Uh, I certainly have to fight against my own natural cynicism and skepticism, but I think I'm really excited about what God's doing right now. Um, I, I think if we might be renewed and reformed in some ways, golly, I think we're built for this moment. Yeah. I think we're built for it. So I'm preaching through Revelation right now. And uh, one of the passages that I preached on last week was chapter 14. And in chapter 14, uh, this angel goes out from under the throne and and it's saying, Babylon, Babylon has fallen. And, he, and he's calling. It's actually a heralding of the good news that Babylon, with her sensual seduction, has fallen. And as I started kind of trying to make sense of that passage this it's 96 ad yeah rome's far from fallen rome's like almost at its peak and and here's this angel coming out and it's being written to these people that are clearly looking around at rome and going no she hasn't no she has not fallen she is stronger than her licentiousness is stronger than ever her violence is stronger they'd been suffering for 30 years Mm. and here's john saying jesus said this angel goes out and says babylon's fallen but really what's happening is the angel saying that people are waking up from the drunkenness of her lies. Mm. And I think we're in a moment where a lot of people are seeing all the hurt, all the division, all the anger, all the sexual brokenness. And they're, they're like people that have been drunk who are coming out of their drunkenness. So think about it. I mean, the image. Their head hurts. They feel a little sick, but they're starting to come to their senses. Right. And if the church would be the church and, and if we could not, I wish we had time to get into, I have so many thoughts around this whole sola scriptura versus solo scriptura and how this solo scriptura approach is just killing the, the church's ability to walk in power and to reach the lost and to make serious disciples and to, but man, I think if the church prayerfully and seriously can step into this moment, we might see that thing that so many of us are so hungry to see, an outpouring to the Spirit of God in our day, uh, a renewal and a, and a new reformation where things go back to, they don't go back to, they become the thing that I think the reformers were trying to build. I think it got off kilter and, and we're... We're, we're the back edge of some of that, but man, what, what might God do? And so I think we're made for the moment. I just think we've got to have some guys with some courage and we've got to stop measuring success, um, by butts and in seats and dollar bills and sizes of buildings. And, and I think we've got to scrap the church growth strategies. I do. I I think we do. And I think we have to be very serious about discipleship, the Bible power, got to be serious about power. Um, the Christian life should be marked by power, um, intimacy with Jesus, and a seriousness about God's word. 
Yeah. Amen. I remember hearing Dallas Willard say one time the the church growth strategies church growth strategies the ABCs attendance buildings cash. That's it. And yeah, where to get it. us completely yeah. unprepared for these years that we're in. Yeah. We need we need a a movement of power. Amen. Renewal from the Holy Spirit coming down from on high. The Lord yeah. would rend the heavens, which That's right. which makes me think as you mentioned revelation. What made you want to preach Revelation? So this is crazy because everybody thinks I, I chose Revelation because the season were it, but that wasn't it at all. Like in my normal Bible reading plan, just I do, I read chronologically every year, right? Okay. Read through the Bible in a year. I read, we were talking about what's next here at the village. So I try to plan out pretty good. Um, and we, we were coming up on a retreat we go on where we kind of look at the next year or two and just pray and, and seek the Lord's face and what I, I know I want to preach the book of the Bible. I know I've got some topics that are on my heart that I want to, but I want to do that in community. And so we've got that coming up. And um, there's a couple of people on my staff that are like, well, men's and women's Bible study are going to go through Romans. And so why don't we preach through the book of Romans? You could do like a 12 week series, high level, because they'll be getting kind of line by line in men's and women's Bible study. But I, I love uh, Romans. I'll eventually get to, I'm sure it'll be like some four year series or something ridiculous right. like that. But um, um, I, I just, it, it didn't settle with my spirit. And so in my Bible reading plan, I, I come to revelation 12 and, and for whatever reason, revelation 12 and revelation 12, if you're not familiar, you're just listening is, um, Christmas, it, it's Christmas and it's more than Christmas at the same time. It's the, it's the cosmic battle between the dragon and the woman and man, that's so captivated mm. my imagination I mean, to me, it I, I'm naturally a fighter on the flight fight motif. I'm I'm right. always going to swing. And and the idea of. Oh, my gosh, we're in a war and we don't know it was this really haunting, really haunting two weeks for me where I mean, I'm just looking at everything around me like we're in a war and we don't know it we're in a war and we don't know it i mean i just couldn't get that phrase out of my head it was like the spirit was trying to wake me up to something and so without even fully studying the book i went to that team and i was like i want to do revelation and everybody's like what and i was like i want to do revelation (laughs) are you serious yes and then we just did a deep dive on it and i i have loved it but that's how it came about it didn't come about because i was looking around and going oh man we these the are the days. Falling. Yeah. Um, because these are always the days. That's the point of the book of Revelation, right? Yeah, right. And I've, I've been so perturbed studying to preach it because I think the enemy has purposefully robbed the church of this book. Right. People are so afraid of it and they're so confused by it and so wearied by it. And um, such dumb stuff has been built around it. And yep. that I, man, I've been provoked and enlivened and I've had so much fun preaching it. That's awesome, man. I, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for listeners. You can go catch Matt's series through Revelation there on the Villa Church uh, podcast feed. Yeah, it's such a great, such a great book. And I, you always hear people say like, oh, you know, back in Bible times. And I always go, until Revelation 21 happens. That's right. We are still in Bible times. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, 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 we're still in this. Yeah. Okay, Matt, how can, um, how can we encourage women in our churches? Um, how can we encourage them to use their gifts to serve in the local church? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, the answer is in the question. Uh, I think you want to encourage women to use their gifts in the church. Yep. And, and I think you have to be serious about that. I, I think you have to um, help identify gifts, give space for those gifts. Um, 
create on-ramps for it, be intentional um, in regards to how you're hiring and and what you point to and who you give credit to and, and all of that. So I, one of the things that, like, let me give you this example. This is a simple example as a pastor sending an email out to his staff. So I, one of the things that we've done for the last 18 years that we're just now changing is to get baptized at the village church. Man, it's a process, man. I mean, it's like meetings and classes and multiple interviews. It's just like you've got to absolutely convince us that you're actually a Christian before we'll baptize you. And so we have made it so difficult (laughs) to be baptized that a lot of people just like forget it and they'll just get baptized in their swimming pool, send a video (laughs) in or something like that. And so there was a burden growing in the elder room, in the exec room, and with the the woman who leads our connections ministry. Her name's Kristen Ainsworth. Um, about this. Like, why is it so hard to get baptized at the village church? And so there were reasons back in the day, and we we still have some concerns here and there. And so I I told Kristen, solve it. Like identify the hurdles, remove it. We we mm. we want to make sure people are understanding what they're doing before we baptize them. But that shouldn't take six months to pull off. And, and I'm not lying. Like we do three celebration services a year, which means that if you get saved, you know, you come to Christ two weeks after <laughs> yeah. the, the last celebration service, you are waiting four months, five months to be baptized. And right. I know I, I know the history of the church fathers and how they, they would delay baptism and they yeah, would do catechism some classes. Yeah, that's right. And catechism. Stuff, yeah. And then they would do um you know, some deliverance even, and then you'd be baptized maybe on Easter morning or something like that. So I've read all that, but, but I also read, you know, Philip and the Ethiopians like, Oh, we came across some waters. What's to stop me from being baptized? Nothing. Let's do it. And so I sit, we are going to make it a lot easier to be baptized here. Now Uh, we're going to baptize much more consistently. And so I sent an email out yesterday afternoon to our entire staff just going, FYI, you're going to begin to notice this. Let me catch you up. This conversation was happening you know, at multiple levels. Kristen Ainsworth and her team built out a proposal, and we will begin to implement that proposal. Let me answer some of the questions that you might have and that some of our people might have as they see this begin to happen. But what I want to do is very quickly go, this was Kristen Ainsworth. She, she's yeah, the one that yeah. did this. She's the one that executed it. She's the one. So I want to champion her. It's easier at TBC because I've got Jen Wilkin, Lori Wilbert used to be. I, we just had these high profile women that clearly are complementarian, but then clearly uh, ha, have been free to use their gift at right. the village. And so that's what I would tell you. You're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to champion. You're going to have to give credit um, where credit's due. I think I'm constantly trying to invite certain female voices and uh, what I'm thinking through, how I'm processing information. And, and I think that's a good way to go about it. Man, I, I love that. You know, one of the things we just had our baptism celebrations uh, at our church, uh, Risen Church here in Houston. And one of the things that we gave to people that were baptized in kind of relation to the church fathers and what they gave to people in baptisms is they gave them a gift of milk and honey. Okay, that's wild. As a way to symbolize, yeah. like, you're now in the promised land. You're in a yeah. land flowing with milk and honey in Christ. And so we gave people little jars of honey. That's and awesome. we skipped the milk because like, what do you do say, that, one, that one's, I get the honey, but that the milk would have been yeah. a little strange. It's like, you would, here, hold on to this milk for two hours on a <laughs> Sunday morning. So we skipped that. All right. Should someone plant a church in an area where there are already many churches? 
Oh, absolutely. I, but let me say this. I don't necessarily equate, and nor do I think you should equate, um, churches with living gospel presence. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I've been to places and seen places where, you know, there's a, I think I preached a sermon years ago about kind of a church on every corner. And mm-hmm. ultimately it, it doesn't matter if those churches aren't vibrant living communities of faith. And so, but, but I think, man, if God's calling you, I think you need to go where God calls you. Maybe the work he's going to do, there's going to be something very different than the work he's doing right down the street. Now I'm all for Primarily, I, I want to plant churches among unreached peoples and unreached areas or, you know, areas that are in decline or difficult places. I, I, I love to plant in those spaces. But I also know, man, if God has placed on your heart, you know, a people that, that you just so want to see really follow after him and come to know him, you, man, you've got to obey that call. I, yeah. I think you'd be wrong to not. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I've heard the phrase used before. There might be a lot of churches. Um, there's a lot of churches in the city or this area, but this place is still under gospeled. Yeah. That there's not. So like there's that one extreme that we got to recognize. But then also, you know, you've talked to a lot of church planners and, and so have I through exponent assessments and, and other places is also recognize you're probably not going to be the only gospel center church in this city totally. or, or this community either. So like we got to toe that line. So I'm in Denton County and man, if we don't have like there's probably 10 mega mega churches in this little area and 60% of Denton County is religiously unaffiliated. Mm. And so I did a sermon, um, gosh, I think about five months ago where I actually read the mission statements from all those churches around us that are 2000 and larger, and then made a point that I don't want to spend the next 20 years of my life shuffling the deck Right. So if you're here, you know, and then I just wanted to just come right out and point to the fact that some of you, man, you started out at Rock Point and then, man, they said something or did something you didn't like or you just got restless. And so you went over to Valley Creek for a little while and now you're with us for a little while. And now you're, you know, here's where you're going to go next. You're going to go either back to one of those two or you're going to go down to fellowship or you're going to go up to Denton Bible or you're going to. And and I just wanted to point out the absurdity of the game that we're playing in a in an area with a lot of churches when, like I said, 60 percent of the county I'm in in the last census said they were religiously unaffiliated. Wow. So, man, I don't. Gosh, I'm not interested. I didn't get into this to shuffle the deck. I, I got in this to make disciples and see people yep. come to know and love Jesus who are far from him. And so I've been on this tear of who wants to come with me. This is what I'm going to be about. This is what we're going to be about. Who's coming? And if you're not coming, I love you. There's great churches. Take the off ramp. Yeah. Yeah. We are in X29. We we don't want to be interested in a sheep trade market. No, gosh. Well, how boring is it? Yeah. We we want to make disciples, converts. We want baptismal water splashing all over the ground. That's right. that's, That's what we're interested in. Okay. In light of everything we've just been through in the last 18 months, uh, how do you think the way we're going to do churches is going to change? I think there'll be two kind of competing visions of church. The The first will be the full-on integration of technology uh, with the church. And so like even a church like The Village, we're late adopters on tech all the time. Like we had never live streamed until until this happened last March. Really? Literally never live streamed. Now our sermons were always available, always with a caveat of, hey, don't use this as your church. I think that's still right. there. But um, we had never live streamed. 
we didn't give people the ability to join our services digitally. Um, we don't see how we can not do that moving forward, um, at least in the near future. So like what we're doing now is how do you integrate the live and digital realities with a constant pressure that the incarnational aspect is better mm-hmm. and that the call on your life is to be incarnational, not digital. So I think that will be one version of the church moving forward. Like the guys that are been doing services on their Facebook page. I, it's just hard to believe that they're going to stop doing that yeah. once all and every restriction has been removed. So that, that'll be one version. The other version will be a total um, rejection of the whole thing. And so that will be more a smaller church approach, a more liturgical approach, a a, a more incarnational missional approach. Think like John Mark Comer, uh, think that stream. Um, I think some of the reality churches, specifically uh, Dave Lomas there in Reality San Francisco, I, I think they're, and even if you listen to those guys, they're already, you can see the, what I would call air war preaching to that end. Well, certainly there'll be forms of gathering, but they're going to be, I think they're going to be moving towards smaller, more intentional disciple making communities um, that are super intense. It's going to be like, do you see them as like networks of small groups or networks of house churches? Like how would they, yeah, it'll be interesting like to things? see how it plays out. You know, the house church movement's been on an uptick for the last several years. Everybody keeps thinking they're going to replace the the big church. I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think there would have to be some significant legal shifts that really did persecute um, large gatherings of Christians or individual Christians. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think there'll probably be some model like that. I think the parish model is probably what you'll see where they'll just be smaller, you know, these smaller, you know, 150 yeah. people broken into groups of whatever that are going to be much more around the dinner table in the Bible, yeah. um, than, than they are in the way that kind of we've grown accustomed to church. Matt, you're, you're one of the great preachers of our generation. Um, what, what steps do you take to improve your preaching though? Yeah, Not that you need to improve your no, preaching. No, listen, I, I heard what you said. <laughs> but I can't, I mean, I want to always be learning. I want to listen to guys um, technically, and I want to listen to guys just because they feed me. And uh, this year, man, I just took a deep dive um, into kind of historic black preaching. Uh, I was just fascinated uh, by that. So like uh, Dr. Samuel Proctor and um, uh, other guys that, man, I just couldn't get enough of. And started, I mean, went down the YouTube rabbit and, and I'm just learning rhetorical devices and mm. um, trying to read good books on preaching and um, pay attention when I'm listening to good preaching. Uh, so I, I'm always wanting to try to hone the craft of preaching, knowing that, you know, ultimately the spirit of God's got to blow on it or it don't yeah. matter. But like I've got room to grow. Uh, it's actually... I have actually been taking far longer in sermon some sermon prep really? uh, the last year than than previous because I did Why learn some yeah. things that I felt like I needed to to get better at. Namely, I need to cut things out of my sermon after I'm finished. I need to finish it. I need to walk away for a couple of days, and then I need to come back with the intention and added three or four hours with the intention of shrinking this down. 
um, and and getting it shorter with a little more punch. Mm. And so um, I think because of my personality and how animated I am that I can go 45 and 50 minutes. Yep. I don't think I need to be going 45 and 50 minutes. I think we can accomplish the same thing in 35 to 40. Um, and it might even be a little more punchy. And so that that's what I've been working on. But man, I'm, I'm always wanting to grow. How do you discern when, you know, kind of, you're not a full manuscript guy, right? No, not at all. So how do you discern when you're breaking from your outline or amplified outline? Like, is this just a rabbit trail that I want to chase? Or is the Holy Spirit leading me? Like, I need to go this way. So that's part of my process and preparation where I want to begin to talk out loud, almost preach the sermon to myself and see where my mind tries to go and then discern in the moment. Okay, is that is is does the Holy Spirit want to use that in this man or or do I need to with great discipline go? No, that that doesn't go here. I'm trying to do as much of that before the sermon as possible mm. um, and then be really mindful in the sermon. So now it's a much more intentional decision to chase that as opposed to leave it alone yeah. um, than maybe historically where I wasn't even mindful. I would just go. And um, and again, I I think it's producing better sermons from me, not worse. So, mm. yeah, that's helpful. Well, what would you tell a young a young planter who's considering joining X twenty nine? They're they're cruising the X twenty nine website, uh, checking stuff out, reading the competencies. Uh, what would you tell them? Yeah, I'm. We are very seriously committed um, to planting churches that love the Word of God, that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that won't shrink back from the mission or capitulate to culture. And so I would love to have you join us, man. It's going to take a lot of us. And uh, man, X29 isn't perfect. We, we, I mean, we stub our toe just like everybody else does, but we are a brotherhood that loves one another deeply and is serious about the things of God. We are serious about the Bible. Uh, we are serious about theology. Um, but but our, our posture isn't necessarily polemical, uh, but missional. So we're not worried about constantly defending the truth as much as what we want to do is proclaim it and reach people with it. Um, and so I, I hope that as we've matured, we're not near as combative as we once were. So I'm, I'm just inviting you into that. We're committed. We're heading forward. We got big plans. God's been blowing us away and how he's, um, blessed those plans. And I couldn't be more excited about where we're headed. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, kind of in that, that vein of a question kind of similar. What's the best advice you'd give to a young pastor? Yeah. The best advice I'd give to a young pastor is to, to have those space. Well, the the first and foremost is to cultivate a heart that's fully in love with Jesus and fully alive in Jesus. And I think the first and great task of the pastor is to love Jesus as deeply as the grace of God will, will allow him to. And so uh, I said it earlier in the podcast, I would say it again, I think you should pay attention to the rhythm of your day, your week, your month, your year. And man, if you don't, if you're not intentionally weaving in what I need most is to be with Jesus. Yeah. Then man, I, I think the all, the rest of it, man, is just going to be so hard, so hard. And so man, I, anyone who's been listening to me lately, pastors, I'm, I'm trying to say to you, 
you need an intentional plan to orient your heart around Jesus and and do it over and over and over again and try to do it every day and then have weekly rhythms that orient your heart and monthly rhythms. Like I said, I'm I'm once a quarter leaving for four or five days. And and maybe you're like, there's no way I could do that. Well then great. Leave for a day. That's how I started. Like if you yeah. heard me talk about this five, ten years ago, I was going, I spend one day a month. You know? It's called mm-hmm. the day. And I would go out and just fast all day and spend that day with just Jesus in my journal. But now I'm in a place just because organizationally where we are and our size dynamics matter, where I'm taking full weeks that that I just leave, then I just go be alone with the Lord. And and so my I think if we're going to fulfill what God's given us to do in our day, pastors, specifically young pastors, are going to have to start now because, man, you are you are pastoring in. I've been pastoring for over 20 years. This is the first season that's truly no win. Like it just doesn't matter what I do or what I say. Someone super offended, angry, bothered, leaving, um, accusing me of this or claiming I said that or pulling up something I said 15 years ago out of context and layering it. And man, if you're not really secure in God's love for you in Christ, you're not really secure in I'm going to please the Lord and and let all this be what it is. Man, I just don't know how effective you're going to be as a minister. And so give yourself over to cultivating a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's great. Amen. It makes me think of John Wesley's Holy Club questions. That's it. And one of the final questions that he asks in his accountability time and, and group is, is Christ real to me? Yeah, such a great question. Man. If we could all answer that with a resounding yes, and here's how Christ is real to me. Yeah. That, that's what we desperately need in our day. Absolutely. All right. Final three, Matt. Great book you've read recently you'd want to recommend. Okay. This this isn't Boys in the Boat. I don't know. Okay. If, so Boys in the Boat is a great um, historic narrative about the 1936 men's eight-man row team that went to Berlin. And I, this might sound really crazy. I mean, I was cheering in my truck like an idiot. Uh, I listened to it on Audible. I cried a couple of times in uh, in listening to it. I was stirred up. I was encouraged. I was so, man, it was, I love that book. Boys in the Boat. All right, Boys in the Boat. All right, second one. What's your go-to order in a coffee shop? Woo, um, I'm a, I'm a, Long black. What frappuccino are you getting? Oh, okay. I don't, okay, I don't, black. I don't listen. I'm not a sugar guy. I'm really not a sugar guy. So I'm a long black. Um, Perfect. And hope they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I was, I was hoping it's like, hopefully he's not like, oh, I get the strawberries and cream frappuccino with extra whipped cream. That's what oh I was my gosh, that would, I'd feel, I'd vomit and fall asleep. <laughs> I can't do that amount of sugar. All right. Final one. Uh, your favorite verse in our sacred text and, and why? Oh, easily for me, it's Ephesians 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth has been named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And I love this. And to know the love of Christ 
that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And of course, the famous one is the one right after that, right now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we should ask. But that idea of being strengthened in the inner man, in that deeper place, and to know, and and I would argue experience the love of God. So when I talk about this, I talk about embodied doctrine. That it's not just something I know, it's something that's permeated me so that I've embodied it. And I think that's what this passage is talking about, an experience of the love of Christ that has transformed you, that that requires you to live differently because it's gone beyond what your mind can talk about him. That There's something that happened in you, in that inner man. It's been strengthened by the Holy Spirit. It's emboldened your faith. You, it's not something you just know in your head. It surpasses that. And then now you move into now him who who is able to do far more abundantly. And so I've always just been encouraged by that passage and try to order my life around it. Yeah, that's so good. So good. Great way to end. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the Exponent Podcast, man. It was great just hanging out with you and, and so many helpful answers to these questions, man. So oh, thank you thanks, so much. Man. Had a great time, Jeff. Glad you're doing well, killing it down there in H-Town. Well, remember, listeners, be sure to leave um, there a review in your podcast app. You can just click those five stars. You can share this podcast with everyone else out there in your social media channels. And we're grateful for all of you listeners. So remember, let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth. Amen. 